Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com chapters. There you'll find over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Now, let's start the show. On this episode of Chapters, we read with a king. On today's episode, we're revisiting an earlier episode we did on Elvis Presley as a reader. As we approach the anniversary of his death on August 16th, we wanted to return to this episode to share with you a part of Elvis's life that few fans even know about, his deep interest in spirituality that he explored through reading. Elvis was always searching for the meaning of life and for an answer to the question, why did God make me Elvis Presley? On this episode, we tell you the story of that quest that took him through spiritual books, self-help books, and beyond. This is Chapters. After researching Elvis's life and career, tracking down some information about his reading habits, and speaking with Elvis's spiritual advisor, Larry Geller, I sat down with my friend and Chapters producer, Taylor, to talk about what I learned. Okay, Taylor, I don't even know where to begin with this. So I'll just start at the beginning. And I'll say that I've had a lifelong interest in Elvis Presley. So have I. What interests you in Elvis? And then I'll go. Uh, What drew you in? You've been to Graceland. I have been to Graceland. It was great. It was a great day. Why do you like Elvis? I don't know. I I don't (laughs) know. I became like mildly obsessed with Elvis in high school, like around my sophomore year of high school, we had to write a paper, like a research paper on anything we wanted. And for some reason, I chose Elvis. So I wrote this. It was like the longest paper I'd ever written. It was like 12 pages, which now is my God. And so I had to like go through his whole life, find out everything I could about him. And I wrote this paper. Of course, I got an A. And then my... <laughs> Humble brag. My my uncle owned a record store, and he sent me like 12 Elvis CDs. I still have them. And so I have... I, I don't know. I just became obsessed with him for this short while. And I'm not really sure why... I, I liked his style. He had great hair. Later, I found out he was total racist, and I was like, oh, that's a regrettable wow. part of my past. I have several follow-up <laughs> questions to this, but I'll try to restrain myself. One, this isn't a question, but a statement. How have you never told me? I guess it is a question. How have you never told me any of this? I thought I had. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Two, have you ever tried to style your hair like Elvis? And I ask because, no. as you know, you have one of the first things you did say to me was that you thought you looked like Ringo Starr, which... For listeners listening to this. one of the first things I ever said to you. It was up there. Like, it was a bombshell because you look nothing like Ringo Starr. If. Nothing like Ringo Starr. I look exactly like him. No, you don't. I'm putting your picture on the website. This is ridiculous. Okay, I won't. But just trust me on this. If you're listening, Taylor looks nothing like Ringo at any era of Ringo's career. a little better looking than me, but not much. Your hair is more Elvis. That's why I say that. Your hair is more Elvis than Ringo. I appreciate that. Yeah, at this point, I think that's correct. But had you ever, in your vast research for this 12-page paper, encountered (laughs) any reference to Elvis reading books? No, never, no. Wait, 
Now I'm remembering something. Okay. About him reading in bed, but that's all I I remember. Just that he read in bed. Because I had to read a biography or one or two biographies for my research, you know. Mm-hmm. And I remember something about him reading, but but no, that's it. That's it. Was it was just a brief mention. So my interest is kind of similar in the sense that I don't remember how he came into my life. I don't know when I became aware of Elvis, but mm-hmm. I had a cousin who was obsessed with him. Oh. Yeah, who dressed up like Elvis and all this kind of stuff. When It was like age appropriate, like when he was a child. Okay. Although people are still dressing like Elvis, and I still think that's appropriate. More okay. on that in a second. <laughs> And I did listen to, like, early Elvis music. I like his music a lot, certain songs, but I wasn't obsessed with him. But mm-hmm. I think as, a like, a pop culture symbol, a lot of things get projected onto Elvis, and that's interesting to me. And so, long story short, last year, I was minding my own business, got a phone call from my brother who said, there's a man claiming to be Elvis's son performing <laughs> at a local mall in the middle of a day on a Tuesday. And so you ran. Of course. And you dropped everything. Look, if you don't think I'm at the Meriden Mall <laughs> listening to Elvis Presley Jr. perform at noon in the back room of a department store, you don't know me at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. So I went, I saw the show, whatever. And then I started to get interested in Elvis again, thinking about him. And I came across this photograph, kind of like looking through different things, of a page, a photo that someone had taken of a book that Elvis owned. And the book shows on the left page the beginning of a chapter, and the chapter of the book is called The Coming Aquarian Age and the Emancipation of Women, subtitle Women in Politics, in Business, and in Freemasonry. Are, I was, are we in the age of Aquarius now, or is that coming up? That's for you to say. That's <laughs> okay. your expertise. All right, all right. That's not for me, but I would like to hear back from you on that. So on the facing page, there's a paragraph that says the following. A retrospective glance over the events of the past century and a half will be enough to show that great changes have already taken place in the mental outlook of humanity at large, and more particularly in the position of women. And right next to that paragraph, in all capital letters, Elvis wrote, in karate. (laughs) (laughs) But I saw this and it immediately captivated my interest because I thought, okay, I'm already someone who's interested in reading and how we can know someone through books. And I thought, how can like, how can I know Elvis if I think about him as a reader? So not as a musician, not necessarily as an actor, but as someone who read quite a lot, apparently, which he did. And that's not something that most people who are fans of him necessarily know mm-hmm. as the first thing they think of when they think of him. But he was someone who considered himself an avid reader. What can we learn about him if we think about his life as a reader? So anyway. Great question. Great question. <laughs> I did some research, and I'm here to tell you I found out a lot of things. Okay. Are you prepared for this? I don't know. I'm sitting down, so I guess I'm as prepared as I can be. Are you... I want to know at the end of this, do you still consider yourself Elvis-like? Or was this just... I never thought it was Elvis-like. You just thought you looked like... You liked no, the that's way he Ringo. looked? No. In high school, you Maybe liked Maybe I wanted to be like Elvis. Sorry, not to confuse you with Ringo. <laughs> Different thing. Okay, so... I looked through, I've done some research on Elvis's life, and basically what I want, I want to tell you snippets of what I've learned. And also I spoke to someone who was very close to Elvis, who provided him with much of his personal library. 
And I'm talking, of course, about Larry Geller. Oh, of course. Of course, Larry Geller. <laughs> well, I assume as you're, you've read three books on Elvis and you wrote a paper on him that you came up Let's remember this was 22 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And so Larry Geller is um, a person who was a close friend of Elvis and also served as a kind of spiritual mentor to Elvis. Um, they met in 1964. We'll get there in a little while. Great. But first, to know about Elvis as a reader, um, Elvis was someone who spoke in his later life about what comic books meant for him. Obviously, people knew, people know that he grew up quite poor mm -hmm. and that he had a very active imagination to imagine himself out of the situation in which he was born. He was very close to his parents. He had a twin who died at birth. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's meant a lot to his personal narrative. Like he's, It's something he spoke about a lot um, as he was growing up. But he read comic books. Uh, he was an active reader as a child. But it's not until really his early like career in rock and roll that I found more evidence or evidence of Elvis himself speaking about his life as a reader. So I found an interview from with Lloyd Shearer on August 17th, 1962. And at this point, Elvis is um, in his movie star phase of his career. Do you recall anything about that part <laughs> of his life? I recall lots of terrible movies. Yeah. There's... Stay Away Joe is my favorite, though. <laughs> what? what movie is that? <laughs> I've not seen that one. Oh, my God. He plays a Native American no. man. <laughs> yes, no. he does. With lots of bronzer. <gasps> and... <laughs> All I remember, other than the bronzer, is that the, his family in this movie, like, they're trying to make their house look nice because he's bringing a girl home, and so they use wallpaper on the outside of the house to try to make it look nice. I just remember thinking, this is the wow. best movie ever. That sounds, that sounds amazing. I should check that There's out. There's so much metaphor in there. About? I don't know. <laughs> You just wanted that sentence this is to drift off. This shack that's falling apart and wow. they put this wallpaper, wallpaper on the outside. So it's a metaphor for Elvis, question mark, his career. Here's a bunch of crap we're going to wrap in uh. Elvis. <laughs> the winding streams and the winds that blow Ask me how can you stay away there's never been anyone like rioters, rip-roaring, rollicking Joe. What's really tough about that part of his career, someone who admires his music, is that he'd already recorded all of this amazing stuff. Like, his first album I would put up against a lot of, like, almost anyone else's first album. I think yeah. it's really great. And he's recording, he's touring, and then... He gets drafted. He has to go serve. Yeah, everything changes after that. And after he serves in the army, I know John Lennon said that basically he, like Elvis, ended after he went into the army. Mm -hmm. But when he comes home, he gets involved in starring in movies, and they're always very commercially successful. Mm -hmm. He's always one of the hi most highly paid actors in Hollywood, but the movies are almost always terrible. <laughs> and later on, they got the he had some good ones later on. What's that one with Mary Tyler Moore? Oh man, I haven't change seen of that. habit. What's that? <laughs> You're in so deep. I had no idea. Elvis Presley in a change of pace role of a doctor doing his best to keep the lid on a red hot ghetto. Mary Tyler Moore, dedicated to her calling, but at heart a woman. <laughs> 
Let's move on. <laughs> I like the one where he stars as his own twin. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he wears Which a blonde wig. Yes. That one's really great. Then he is kinfolk. Practically kissing cousins. Kissing cousins. Kissing's allowed. Cause we're proud to be cousins. It's the merriest mountain feuding you've ever seen. And Elvis takes both sides. and Elvis kissing cousins by the dozens there's one where he's a boxer oh that's another one and then <laughs> jailhouse rock you know I never saw that I know I like that one <laughs> I like blue Hawaii too okay for real night and you and blue Anyway, so he's on the set of one of these um, films and he's being interviewed and you have to imagine him surrounded by um, his entourage, Mm -hmm. sometimes called the Memphis Mafia. (laughs) And they're kind of, you can hear the audio tape and he's being asked about, you know, do you want to get married? It's 1962. Like, do you want to get married? Do you want to have kids? And at one point he's asked, do you read? And he gives this really interesting answer where he says, I don't read what everyone else reads. I'm going to tell you what I do. I mean, very few people know it, but I I, uh, I keep up with uh, with uh, modern medicine, medical science, medical discoveries, different diseases. Nobody knows that, and I've been doing it for a long, long time. You know, I, I get uh, doctors' handbooks, the PDR, which is a physician's desk reference. And it's pretty interesting. Uh, you know, it's pretty interesting. Because at one time, when I got out of school, I thought I I, uh, I wanted to be a, a doctor or something uh, in the medical profession. That's what I thought I wanted to be. But I didn't have money to go to college. But I uh, I, I got interested in it, and it's it's pretty interesting. But I don't read any any of the you know any of the the books much that other people read. Well, that I read, yes, and uh, uh, I read a lot of philosophy and uh, some poetry. Have you ever heard of a, have you ever heard of a book called Leaves of Gold? Uh, it, it's by different people. It's, it's it's different men's philosophy on life and death and everything else. Well, that type of stuff uh, interests me to get these uh, these different people's opinions on different things. And he says, I read philosophy, I read poetry. <laughs> he cites um, Leaves of Gold, which is an anthology of prayers and phrases <laughs> by um, Clyde Little. And that's a book that continues to be important to him his whole life. But the physician's desk reference, just to stay on that for a second, that's really fascinating that he brings that up because he says first that he thought about being a doctor, but obviously he didn't have the money to go to college. So reading this book allows him to learn about health and medicine in a way that's accessible for him, not having gone to college. But it also is a way for him to learn about different drugs. <laughs> And a lot of biographers of Elvis have noted the frequent reference to this book to say um, 
it's a it's a was a means of offering him cover to explain to people who express concern for the fact that he was taking pills at this period in this period oh no no you know like priscilla said to him uh, in this same period, why are you taking all these pills? Is this healthy? Mm-hmm. And his response was, don't worry. I read the physician's desk reference. I study <laughs> up on all these pills. I know what they're doing to me. I'm not addicted to them. This is just medicine. Okay. <laughs> what do you make of that? I Well, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot to handle. Addicts like to justify their behavior. Let's just say that <laughs> okay fair enough and uh you'll hear plenty more of that if you ever study read of El- what things elvis has said to other people about his health but even later in his career when he's um touring so after he's done uh, making movies at the end of the 60s he starts to tour the country and basically does that intermittently for the rest of his life mm-hmm. and he has a physician who it basically is on call for him all the time and this person prepared elvis's pills to go on tour and he knew that elvis was addicted to pills and he also knew how smart elvis was about all of this how elvis had studied um the physician's desk reference and all these things and cites that and says okay he really knows his stuff so i'm gonna slip some placebos into his medication so that he'll think he's taking what he wants to take but really it's a like less dangerous dose that's nice yeah (laughs) um because of course like there's people who legitimately were trying to deal with his addiction but elvis didn't want to really face it Mm -hmm. so Elvis knew his physician's desk reference enough that when he's out on tour, he basically at one point was like, I know that's a placebo. Oh, my God. Stop. (laughs) Give me my meds. And so that's a book that he, I guess, continues to read throughout his career. But the fact that he names it in this early interview in 1962 is really interesting for that. Is that like a medical journal? Um, It's a reference book, yeah, that has like information about different medications and medical conditions. Is it just... Is it just one book or is it something that, like a periodical? I think it's one book. Okay. So it's something you could have in your house. Okay. So if you had a question about something, you could look it up. Okay. Like an encyclopedia or or something like that. Okay. Yeah. So he has that and he references it in this interview, but it's interesting too that he says that he reads philosophy and poetry because that's, Mm -hmm. that surprised me. I mean, I was already surprised. He was very spiritual. He was very spiritual. And something that you find when you read about Elvis when you listen to his music and when you look at interviews um, and listen to them is that gospel music was something that was important to him throughout his career. Yes. And in fact, he expressed it various times that he wanted to be a gospel musician. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that he's reading philosophy and poetry, I guess, is not surprising in that sense. But the fact that he goes on to explore his spirituality in a much broader way um, outside of Christianity, the Christianity in which he was raised is perhaps surprising Mm. and the fact that he does so before um the so-called like rise of the counterculture right which popularizes that so he's already starting to ask these questions in 1962 he's talking about these spiritual books in 1962 and then something happens in 1964 that really revolutionizes the way that he reads and the way that he thinks about himself and the person that he becomes and that's um he meets on August 30th, 1964, a person called Larry Geller, who I mentioned before mm-hmm. is Elvis's spiritual mentor. Okay. He was also a hairstylist. <laughs> 
stay with me. So I actually had the opportunity to interview Larry for our conversation today. Fantastic. Access. What a get. What a get. And something (laughs) that you probably couldn't do in high for your high school paper. So I'm like, you can live vicariously through me. (laughs) Thank you. I did talk to Larry Geller, who is very nice. Yeah, I'm kind of jealous. I'll be honest. Okay, that's fair. (laughs) That's fair. I'd be jealous of me too. So Larry told me this incredible story that you can hear on the tape, but basically... He gets a phone call one day. He's working as a hairstylist at this really elite Hollywood um, salon that caters to men's hair. Mm-hmm. He's His clients include people like Frank Sinatra, Rock Hudson, oh. Paul Newman. And he gets a phone call that says, a man with a southern drawl says, will you come style Elvis's hair? <laughs> he says southern drawl. And he's flabbergasted because he met Elvis when he was 17 or what a teenager. He went to a concert in Hollywood and he couldn't get in because it was so overrun with people in the fifties, other teens who had actually bought tickets unlike Larry and his friends. (laughs) So Larry and his friends thought they could just go down there and like talk their way in or get a ticket. And they're hanging out outside the venue and he meets Elvis. Elvis is standing outside before the concert and he shakes his hand and introduces himself. And he's so awed by like, Elvis's aura and persona and so he never saw Elvis again until he gets this phone call Hmm. saying will you come style Elvis's hair at his house so he goes there and um, basically Elvis is really down to earth and he goes with Elvis into his bathroom to wash his hair and and cut it and style it and he's doing all of this and it's taking like an hour and then Elvis whips around by Larry's account whips around and says and he swings around the chair and he points right at my face, and I'm standing right there next to him. He said, who are you? Who are you, Larry Keller? What are you really all about, man? What are you really into? Mary, that was, I was, I went to shock. That's intense. I mean, mean, this is the first real uh, engagement in conversation. And what a forward thing to say to someone. His whole demeanor just changed. It was very, very serious. And I can remember what I, I can remember my thought processes when he said that to me. And I thought to myself, if I tell him the truth, he's either going to think I'm a Hollywood nut or... He's going to appreciate what I have to say, and I don't care if it's Elvis Presley. I have to speak the truth. I said, Elvis, look, I understand what you're asking me. And to answer your question, you know that I work with celebrities every day, and I style hair at the studios. And that's what I do for a living. That's how I make money. But what's more important to me than my career and money or anything else in life is for me to find out who I am. What is the purpose? Why, am, why are we all here? What happens to us when we die? Is there an eternal life? Do we have a soul? I, I have to know these questions, Elvis. They're burning in me. And I read spiritual, metaphysical books I meditate, I'm a vegetarian, I'm Jewish, and I know that you're the biggest star on planet Earth. Uh, This has got to sound corny to you. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. 
Wait a minute, Larry. You have no idea how I need to hear what you have to say. And Mary, let me say as an aside, we have to understand the historical context of this conversation, what was happening. This is April of 1964. No one spoke about yoga and vegetarian and meditation. He didn't even know what the word metaphysical meant. Of course, he knew what the word spiritual meant. But these ideas were almost verboten in these days in mainstream America because if you did speak about them, you would be look at, looked at askance. I mean, this you would be considered almost weird. Today, turn on the TV and Oprah is talking about, let's be spiritual, you know. <laughs> you know, this is common. And every corner there's either a McDonald's or a yoga studio. This is, uh, today everyone's searching for answers. So totally accepted. Then it was a total different reference point. So this opened the gates to a conversation that lasted for three hours. Elvis opened up, told me about his life, about his stillborn twin brother, he said, why me, man? Why me? Why was I chosen at birth to live and not my brother Jesse Garin? Why did I become Elvis Presley? For our chapters listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. If you visit audible.com and sign up for a free 30-day trial, you can download an audiobook for free. Why not check out Peter Guerlnick's Careless Love, The Unmaking of Elvis Presley, or his accompanying volume, Last Train to Memphis. I've read so many Elvis biographies, and for my money, these are the absolute best. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash chapters. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash chapters for your free audiobook. Now, let's get back to the show. In many ways, the central question of his reading life, it seems to me to be the question, why am I Elvis Presley? Mm. When all these other people or musicians who are struggling, actors, he has this amazing fame and this amazing career. Mm -hmm. And at the height of it, he's asking every day, why, why was I chosen for this? Mm -hmm. And that's driving his spiritual questions. And as Larry said to me, um, you know, after this, he's, uh, Elvis says, what are you going to do now? And he says, well, I have to go back to work. I have to cut other people's hair. I think Peter Sellers was his next customer. <laughs> and Elvis says, I have a better idea. Why don't you come work for me and meet me tomorrow at the Paramount lot with some of the books that you've been telling me about and work for me. And Larry described this to me by saying, and I just heard destiny calling, Mary. I just knew that was it. And he said he, you know, obviously had to take the job. So he goes to the Paramount lot the next day and he brings with him these books, a book called The Impersonal Life, a book called The Autobiography of a Yogi, a book called The Imitation of the World, and a book called Beyond the Himalayas. Um, and so to give you a sense of what these books are about, have you heard of any of these books, by no. the way? 
No. <clears throat> no, but I'm sure you can find them all on our website. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Smooth plug, Taylor. Yes, you can find them all on our website for sure. But The Impersonal Life was first published in 1917 um, by a man called Joseph Benner, and he claimed that he didn't write the book himself. He was merely a vehicle for its... Um, transmission oh, and it uh-huh. came from a higher power yes and its message um, essentially was that the truth the so-called truth lies in all of us and it's only for us to discover it well that's true so okay. so elvis read this elvis read this book and this became a really central book to his life mm. for ways that i'll get into in a little while but basically he, this is a book he gifted to everyone in his life he reread it multiple times it became really important to him and if you were in Elvis's life um, and he became obsessed with something, everyone in his life had to become obsessed with it. Mm. So, for example, at one point in his life, he got really into riding horses and the idea of like being a rancher. Mm. And everyone in his entourage, including Priscilla, all got horses. <laughs> they all start riding. They all start. He even bought a ranch somewhere in Tennessee and like he would go spend time there and everyone would go spend time there with him. And then he sort of cooled off on it. And so he kind of went through things in phases, different trends or whatever, interests. And He's I, like a five-year-old in that way. <laughs> in a sense, sure. I mean... Dinosaurs. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> My brother had a dinosaur phase. It was a lot. Um, yeah, but so he's going through these phases. But so when he meets Larry, I think people in his life, from what I read, thought that this was just another phase and that he would come mm-hmm. out of it. This mm-hmm. uh, this interest books. in spiritual books, uh-huh. the idea, the need to talk to Larry, like they're having these conversations every night about these books that go on for hours mm-hmm. and about life and why they're here and all these things. And no one's really interested in his circle in either asking these questions or reading these books. Hmm. They just want horses, I guess. They just want horses. And in fact, Priscilla, um, in an interview, spoke about this and and said of Elvis, he read books studiously for hours and hours. He had conversations with Larry for hours and hours. He was going on a search for why we were here and who we were, the purpose of life. He was on a search with Larry to try to find it. You know, Larry would bring him books, 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 piles of books, and Elvis would lay in bed at night and read them to me. That was the thing you dealt with with Elvis. If he had a passion for something, you had to go into it with him and show him the same love he had for it, or at least you had to pretend to. Hmm. So at this point in his life, in the mid-60s, when Larry's in the mix, uh, reading becomes something that is both at odds with his career and with people in his life. So the reading that he's doing is uh, very serious and very driven by his own spiritual questions. And the movies that he's making are anything but. Mm-hmm. And he's at this, leading a double life. He's leading Mary. a double life. Okay. Wow. Life imitating art, imitating life, imitating art. Okay. Um, and at the same time, it's drawing some boundaries with the people in his life and kind of isolating him. And, um, you know, Larry spoke about this and said that this was something that made Elvis feel uncomfortable was realizing the fact that he was this spiritual growth growth was helping him to grow away from some of the people in his life. And he was realizing, you know, on this path of spiritual growth, um, you know, realizing some of his own personal feelings, whether that be like 
his health and mm. things that he was doing that was negatively affecting his health or also his relationships that weren't fueling or helping his or fueling his spiritual growth. So that became an issue. And then in March of 1967, um, Elvis falls and hits his head in the bathroom. Okay. And this event may seem really innocuous, but according to biographers, it's something that the colonel, who is Elvis's manager, mm-hmm. pointed to and said, aha, Elvis is out of control. We have to make some changes. And he points at Larry and says, there will be no more books. And if anyone didn't like it, they knew where the door was. So Elvis gets to keep his pills, but not his books. Correct. Okay. (laughs) Makes perfect sense. Because Larry's influence on Elvis was making Elvis question everything, Mm -hmm. including his own management. So, okay, the colonel needed to get his power back. Correct. The colonel had to get his power back. Mm -hmm. So instead of... You know, he points at this one incident and instead of saying, hey, Elvis's health is kind of out of control right. and we need to make some serious changes here to help him literally stay alive. <clears throat> it was like, oh, well, obviously this is Larry's fault. So right. Larry's out. So Larry leaves Elvis for a period of time at this point. And mm-hmm. so this is in 1967. And um, in 1967, Elvis also marries Priscilla. Okay. And then he has his comeback special the year after that? In 68. That's right. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah. You know, I uh, chose a slot machine in Atlantic City a couple weeks ago because it had the the 68 comeback special, uh, the picture from that on it. And I was like, that's the one I need to With the leather suit. And I won 100 bucks. (gasps) Yes, with that leather... Leather pants and and jacket, yeah. Thank you. I was like, yeah, he's looking his best here. I agree. I'm not going to the Vegas one where he's all yeah dark. He had some good music at that time, but uh, he did. He had some really great music (laughs) at that time. Suspicious Minds, I think, was at that time, and also always on my mind. That's one of my favorites. That's a great song, and also in the comeback special when he has that reunion circle Mm -hmm. with his original guitarist and the band and the reminiscing and he plays trying to get to you, which is one of my favorite, all the songs. Uh. (laughs) Good stuff. Very good stuff. But if again, we're only thinking about Elvis as a reader in this period, something dark happens. Okay. 67 in 67. Okay. So, before their wedding reception at Graceland. So they don't get married at Graceland. They come back to Graceland. Mm -hmm. Um, Priscilla persuades Elvis to hold a book burning at Graceland. (laughs) Who knew? Well, so (laughs) I did ask Larry about this because I wanted more information. And what I learned from a biography is that at three in the morning... The account I read said at three in the morning, Elvis and Priscilla dumped a large box filled with books and magazines into an abandoned well behind Graceland somewhere and and burned these books. Hmm. And these were books that Larry had given Elvis. Mm -hmm. So I asked Larry about it because it seemed to me that this was actually like almost an overreact, like a major overreaction to Larry's influence because at this point Larry wasn't even around he wasn't with Elvis anymore why would Priscilla want to do that so why would Priscilla want to do that and what Larry said to me was actually he believes that the colonel was behind that too Mm -hmm. that he demanded that no more books be brought to Elvis even when Larry wasn't was no longer working with Elvis that still no spiritual books were brought to Elvis that would make him question Mm mm-hmm 
That makes a lot more sense. I think that Colonel Parker uh, was behind it because Colonel Parker did not want Elvis reading those books. And he demanded that those books should not be brought to him anymore. And, uh, you know, Colonel Parker was an interesting man, a fascinating character. Here he launched the greatest career in show business. But conversely, on the flip side, he let go of the greatest talent we ever had and never gave Elvis the opportunity to develop his act, acting ability. Elvis could have been in movies that would have grossed billions of dollars, literally billions of dollars. And Colonel Parker knew that Elvis was on tour, city after city after city, nonstop, month after year after year, and he was bringing in a lot of money. He didn't want to. He didn't want to stop the cash cow. He was short-sighted. It, it could have been so. It could have been ten times of what it was, and uh, so Colonel Parker did not really. He was frightened that I. He knew I had a, a, a quite a hold and an influence on Elvis. No question, but he was paranoid. He thought I was going to steer Elvis away from him. He was frightened. There's a wonderful book written by Alana Nash, N-A-S-H, um, called The Colonel. This book defines the colonel like no other I've ever seen. The colonel did not want Elvis to read books. And he, for years and years, he never did anything about it. But it got to a point when he did, and he put his foot down, and then when Priscilla and he got married, uh, there was a book burning. But not all of them, just a couple. And Elvis allowed it to happen. Uh, to put, He threw one or two books in this. Uh, they put a, um, it was in the back of Graceland, and I wasn't there, so I can't really tell you exactly. The only thing I can tell you is what Elvis told me. He said it, 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 he did it uh, as an obligation that he got married and that he was devoted to Priscilla and he didn't really want to, but he kept, I gave him hundreds of books. He kept all of them. He threw two or three of them in this little bonfire that they had one night. And he felt so guilty about it for years. He said, I can't believe I allowed myself to do it. I wanted to make her happy. We just got married. And you know, it was one of those things. The Colonel, Priscilla, whomever else, believed that reading was so dangerous to Elvis that they literally made him burn some of his books. But okay, but that makes perfect sense for the Colonel. Yeah. He was a dick. Excuse me. <laughs> Technical term. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he clearly had a lot of motivations to keep Elvis from making serious changes to his professional career because, mm -hmm. of course... He was making money this entire time. Yeah, Everything loads. Elvis did was profitable. So for Elvis to want to take a step back, and for example, he wanted to be a serious actor. Mm -hmm. But unbeknownst to him, and he didn't realize this until the towards the end of his acting career, his movies were so profitable that allowed the studios to make um, 
more what we would now call independent films mm. like things like the godfather would never have been made without the kind of funding wow. that the studios made from elvis's films yeah. but elvis's deepest dream was to be in films that were taken as seriously as something like the godfather mm-hmm. which was never going to happen <laughs> and he didn't realize this until later in the game and then took a step back but the colonel was making money the whole time so the colonel had no you know investment in putting elvis in you know, highbrow films because that's what Elvis wanted because all he cared about was making money or so Larry told me. It's, I, I I would buy, I would buy that. I, it's kind of sad because it's not like he was a terrible actor. No. It was just a lot of terrible writing that he, because cheap movies to make. Well, part of it too is that Elvis, well, the colonel insisted that Elvis would only record songs to which Elvis could own all the publishing. Oh, smart. That so, guy, he knew how to make money. The famous example of this, of course, and this is an interest near and dear to my heart, is that at one point Elvis was set to record or wanted to record I Will Always Love You by mm. Dolly Parton. Yes. My personal hero. <laughs> and Dolly said no way because he insisted, his team insisted that Elvis own all the publishing and she's a very smart woman and said no. Thank God. she's turned out just okay. um, (laughs) I mean, she could have done better. Sad. Yeah, but I mean, (laughs) stop. But that explains in part why Elvis would record songs, be left to record songs called Do the Clam and things like that, when he obviously was capable of much better material. Yeah, wow. Everybody gather around. Listen to that bongo sound. Grab the first one in your reach. Now we're gonna shake the beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do the clam, do the clam. Grab your baby by the hand. Books played multiple roles in his life in terms of how he related to the people in his life. Mm-hmm. So in one sense, um, books become something that help him to kind of se- segregate himself or hold himself apart from people in his life when he felt that he was misunderstood. Mm-hmm. And... Larry made this interesting claim, and I'll see what you think about this, that <laughs> Elvis liked to read about mystical figures, whether it be um, prophets, rabbis, priests, whomever in the past, because he himself felt a connection to them. Mm-hmm. He thought he could be a mystical figure of some kind. Uh-huh. And there's even this story in a biography I read where Elvis, kind of in a messiah complex type way, yeah. stopped at a hospital in memphis he goes to this hospital and he's in the maternity ward and he goes into a delivery room and a woman is giving birth and no other person would be sort of allowed even then like allowed to go into a delivery room like it's not sterile it's like what's going on and he goes in and this woman is like i see this person appear above me in this bright hospital light and i say and she says are you elvis presley (laughs) and he puts his hands out and says like yes i am and you're going to be completely fine don't worry almost as this kind of like spiritual Mm -hmm. figure at least that's how it's sort of presented but he he reads about these figures and he connects to them on that level and that helps him in his loneliness because he feels like no one in his life knows what it's like to be elvis but it also is something that he uses to connect with people as well. So I mentioned the book, um, The Impersonal Life. And uh, apparently this was a book that he gave to every girl he ever dated. I think that's the book that I remember reading about. Okay. Like some woman had talked about how he gave her this book. That That's what I read about in my 
in my 15 year old uh, sophomore year research very deep 15 year old <laughs> yeah. research uh-huh. it sounds pretty deep for 15 <laughs> yeah. you read a couple books you listen to some cds <laughs> i take that seriously um but it's interesting because all these women now cherish these co- larry told me that every woman who received a copy of this book from elvis it's now like their prized yes. possession yes 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 and he would integrate spirituality into his relationship with anyone he ever considered dating so he would give this copy of the book and then there's other anecdotes of um he at one point was dating linda thompson do you know who that is Mm-mm. she was married to um david foster and bruce jenner oh my goodness really? yes and she became a songwriter and she wrote songs with david foster okay and trying, okay. like Brody jenner no Okay, never mind. <laughs> I really wish you watched as much reality TV as I do. Because yeah, then no. we, I wouldn't have to explain any of this to you. I only like competition reality TV. You still watch Survivor, and I really can't even explain Best show that. on television. No, it's not. Best. No, it's You've not. You've never seen it. I you have. can't say that you like don't know. Like the rest know. of America, I watched season one, and then I quietly oh, forgot my that God. show existed. The game has evolved. No. Don't get me started. Terror. Oh, my God. The game has evolved. No. Nope. Oh. God. I'm worried about your street cred, so I think we should start talking about something else <laughs> right now. But um, so Linda Thompson actually just came out with her memoir this past year. Mm-hmm. And she talks about dating Elvis. And they were very, like, very seriously dating at one point. And she was like living with him at Graceland, all these things. And she said when they first were getting to know each other, she would lie in bed with him and read, he would read the Bible to her. And they would discuss the Bible and they wow. would discuss the impersonal life. Okay. So it was integrated into their relationship. And he almost liked the idea of sort of being her spiritual teacher. Mm, I'm sure he did. And not just Linda Thompson, but other women in his life as well. So it's something that he used to connect to people. He would talk about it on set with his co-stars. Mm. And um, with that in mind, he was also a very active reader. So he would not only give you a copy of The Impersonal Life, say. Say he met you. He was starring in, I don't know, Clam Bake with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with me, yeah. With you. And <laughs> he wants to get to know you. So he would give you a copy of The Impersonal Life. But it would be a copy in which he had gone through and systematically underlined passages. Okay. That he thought were important for, for you, you to pay yeah. attention to. Awesome. And maybe he would write you notes in the margins. <laughs> fantastic so he is a super active reader Mm -hmm. like he didn't just read casually and he took notes he took notes and when larry comes back to graceland after being away for a bunch of years elvis tell like shows him the trunks in his room and says look i didn't burn all your books i only burned three here's all these books Mm -hmm. and larry tells this story that he notes that all the books are really old and falling apart because elvis has read them so many times Mm. and he says elvis i can get you new books like you can have (laughs) new copies and elvis says no i like these you know my old copies of the books and i think a lot of i can relate to that i like my copies that i've written in and underlined Mm -hmm. so he's a very active reader and if you read his marginalia in some ways elvis was not a person who kept a diary he was this person that was surrounded by so many people all the time he had to be surrounded by people he couldn't go out on tour by himself he didn't feel comfortable doing that that's where the entourage kind of came from Mm -hmm. and yet he's this really lonely person and i think in some ways the only place you can really one of the only places you can really see him personally grappling with his life is in the margins of his books and the things that he's left behind very interesting and larry actually scanned a bunch of elvis's books for you 
No, of oh. course not. I'm not. It's please. not a scoop. Okay. It's not a scoop. So you're not interested. Should I <laughs> tell stop me, tell talking me more. about this? Tell me anyway. <laughs> so El- Larry put out a book called The Leaves of Elvis's Garden. Oh. Mm-hmm. And in the back of this book, and I will share this on the website, there are pages where he has scanned some of the pages from Elvis's books. So you can actually see the kinds of things that Elvis wrote in awesome. his books. And um, one of the books that Larry wrote is called If I Can Dream. And that book has a list of 100 of his Elvis's favorite books. But The Leaves of Elvis's Garden is where you will find the photos um, from Elvis's marginalia. And one of the pieces that I read to Larry that struck me was that in, in one book, Elvis, in the, uh, his copy of the autobiography of a yogi, Elvis wrote in the margins, everything else can wait, but our search for God can't. <laughs> And that really struck me because Elvis at his core was a really spiritual person. Yes. And even in the 60s when he's making movies and in the 70s, he's saying things to Larry that he's seriously contemplating leaving fame behind to go join a monastery. Hmm. And obviously he doesn't do that, but I think it might surprise some people to learn. I mean, do we know he didn't do that? <laughs> oh. <laughs> we shouldn't Conspiracy go there, Conspiracy right? theories. I mean, his name isn't even spelled correctly on his grave. No. Oh. Let's... Tell us more about that. I've, I, you've been to Graceland. I haven't. Uh, well, his middle name is Aaron, but it's Aaron with one A. And on his gravestone, it has two A's. Wow. So how there are, lot, I mean, that's lots of, I don't know, but there's lots of conspiracy theories about how he's still alive. And that's one of the little bits of proof that that's not really him buried there. So maybe he did join a monastery. monastery. He's off reading the impersonal he lived in life peace, right now. Yeah. He's probably still alive. Wow. Anyway. <laughs> I kind of hope that for him because he Me had a too. very sad end. It's actually so, his life learning about him, it's just so tragic to read about that mm. you know when you're reading the experience of reading any elvis biography mm-hmm. is so sad because you you know how it's going to end and it yeah. just keeps getting so so dark and it's so pre- it feels so preventable to see somebody mm-hmm. die from addiction but mm-hmm. obviously it wasn't something that he could face um and he had a lot of health problems and yeah. everything so very dark, but um, Larry tells a story about that quotation, that Elvis saw that quotation at a meditation garden with Larry. Elvis is buried at Graceland in the meditation garden. And, you know, seven, eight hundred million people a year go there. It's the most visited home in America next to the White House. And Elvis is buried, and Graceland is an historic landmark. I don't think there's any celebrities buried in a land, historical landmark. And all these tens of hundreds of thousands of people go there every year. And they go to his grave site. And his, there's his mother's grave and his father's grave and um, his grandmother. And there's a little placard for his twin brother, Jesse Guerin, who was stillborn. And it's quite a Flowers, fresh flowers are there all the time. It's, it's quite a thing. and But most people that go there, and Elvis's fans, which we're talking about millions of people, I, most of them probably think that the Meditation Garden came with Graceland when Elvis bought it back in the 50s. But let me tell you how, he, how it came to be. 
um, when I introduced Elvis to that book, Autobiog Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, a spiritual classic, uh, he wanted me to take him to one of their places uh, in, in uh, Los Angeles, actually at the, in the Pacific Palisades, and it's a 17-acre beautiful lake and a chapel and there's a path around the lake and there's always fresh flowers and when you walk in there's little monuments for christianity judaism hinduism islam it's a it's a universal church that accepts and honors all the religions but is based upon uh, the hindu teachings the vedanta teachings and elvis and i went there in late 1964 and we walked around the lake and there's swans and it's very peaceful and no one bothered Elvis and then we walked into the chapel and then when we left we walked out and there's a little plaque well there's many placards with sayings and one of the sayings was everything else can wait but our search for God cannot wait and that's where it came from however about well, a couple of days later, Elvis said, Larry, I love that place. It's so peaceful. No one bothered me. I want to go back there again, which he did many times over the years. And he brought people there. He said, but that's what I need. That's what I want. I want a meditation garden. Because that's what it's called, the meditation garden. I wouldn't want a Graceland. So we build the meditation garden. And that's... Um, where Elvis's body is. That's where how it came to be. It's actually really sad to talk to Larry about Elvis's um, death because he's the person who was guiding Elvis spiritually. He's giving yeah. him all these books. Elvis had all the tools. This is what Larry said to me. Elvis had all the tools, and yet he couldn't seem to apply it to his own life. As he read books... He knew intellectually what the way to go. We all do in our life. People that smoke know it's not good. It says so right on the pack that they buy. But to actually do something and take an action, that's a whole different reality. That's a whole different approach to life. It's easy in hindsight to say, well, he should have just you know, fired everyone and... Oh, that's not so easy. But it's not easy at all. And that's what's so tragic is that he seems... He's living in this mansion. He has everything materially he could want. And mm -hmm. yet he's sort of a trapped... He feels like a mm -hmm. trapped person. Definitely. And that's something that Larry said too about his life as a reader that Elvis felt so claustrophobic in his life. He felt as though he, he desperately wanted to travel to Europe and other places and mm -hmm. felt... He couldn't do so because to leave his house was such an ordeal. There was always people waiting outside to see him. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. He didn't want to be crowded. He would rent out entire movie theaters to go to the movies. Yeah. But yeah. imagine, you know, you can't actually go do the common everyday things of life without being noticed. And mm -hmm. that made him feel um, claustrophobic that he, you know, so he would read history books and all kinds of genres to travel somewhere else. So books allowed him to do that. But still, you know, all these things going on in his life. Obviously, we know that he um, 
died tragically. Um, and many people know where he died mm-hmm. and in what circumstance. Yes, on a toilet. On a toilet. But, but. what you may not know <laughs> is that he was also reading when he died. He died reading on a toilet. He died reading on a toilet. Wow. So that's how it came to an end for him. He was reading a book Larry had just given him. Mm. He was preparing to go on tour again. So Larry had put together a whole new group of books to mm. go with Elvis on tour. And he was reading Frank O. Adams's Scientific Search for the Face of Jesus, mm. which is a study of the Shroud of Turin. Interesting. So that's what he was reading when he died. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, I guess for me, I I did all of this research and I learned all these things about him. And I thought, you know, my knowledge of him was as almost this impersonal symbol onto which so much has been projected about, you know, the founding of rock and roll or, you know, changes in American culture or whatever it is that I wanted to know the person. And I feel like in some sense, I know I have a better sense of him and what spirituality meant to him. But I feel like there's he's someone who's completely unknowable in another mm-hmm. way. Yes. Like, what do you think based on what you've heard? What? <laughs> <laughs> like, do you think he was someone that anyone really knew? No. I was just thinking, what's, what is his sign? <laughs> oh, man. Well, he was born in January 8th, I believe. Oh, he's a Capricorn? Yeah. Interesting. So what would okay. that mean? I don't know. I don't know about Capricorns. <laughs> My brother is, that, is one. So you never looked, even though your brother is a Capricorn? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> is that supposed to tell me something about I, you? Elvis liked guns, right? My brother likes guns. He did like guns. Actually, yeah. did you know that he shot one of his books? No. Why? I don't know. And I think the people <laughs> at Graceland don't know either. But I remember, and there was a video that I will put up on our website. They are doing these really excellent videos at Graceland mm-hmm. as a museum space where they're, um, the archivist is amazing and she's showing off really cool pieces at Graceland and the archives. And one of the things that they showed was were some of his books and showing some of his spiritual books and the history books that he read. You know, he read about World War II and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And then I forget what the book is. I almost think it was a book about football. It didn't really matter what the book... <laughs> it had nothing to do with the book itself, but he just shot one of the, a hole through one of the books how do you so know it wasn't that. about the book great question maybe it was <laughs> maybe he had some kind of and he was a big football fan so maybe he <laughs> was upset about the way a game went or something he did shoot out some of his tvs too yes so yes 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 he wasn't above shooting other things he owned hmm. but he did shoot one of his books hmm. so there's that what we need is every book he's ever owned and uh, the order in which he's read them. And we need to then chronicle all the marginalia from each of those books. Wow. And that would be his true life story. Wow. I actually think that would be an awesome, like, digital humanities project. Graceland, get on it, please. Graceland, please. I would be obsessed with this. It would be (laughs) such a great project because... In many ways, I think the some of the truest accounts of who he thought he was as a person are still in the margins of his books. Mm-hmm. That's all I want to say. <laughs> but, you know, cue mystery train. He's still a mystery to me. <laughs> I think that's the way he should stay. It's a mystery. Well, I mean, I want to kind of read this quote. Is it cool? Of, okay. This is a mar- piece from his marginalia. So in the letters of Helena... Rorick, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, volume one, 
He wrote, do not stand at my grave and cry. I am not there and did not die. Which is a line. See, I told you. <laughs> he's not he's dead. in a monastery. He's in a monastery. <laughs> but it's a line from a poem called Do Not Stand at My Grave and Weep by Mary Elizabeth Fry from mm. 1932. Mm. And it's just interesting because for a person who's in many ways still famous for his gravesite for Graceland, which is a place that people treat as a shrine and a museum, mm-hmm. and so many people go there every year. Alas, I still haven't been there. It's on my list. I can't wait. I'm so excited to go to Graceland. I just, I'm overwhelmed. I'm excited. <laughs> and to think about the fact that he consciously as a spiritual person thought, I'm not there. Many people go there to commune with him or to with a nostalgia feeling or just as a curious person who doesn't like Elvis at all but wants to see what it's all about. Mm-hmm. But to think about him as a reader, you know, if he's not in his grave... Is he at all in his books? He's in the margins. <laughs> Maybe. Hmm. I'd like to thank Larry Geller for speaking with me and for sharing some of Elvis's marginalia in his books. They're incredible artifacts from Elvis's life, which I encourage everyone to check out. Visit our social media. We're at Chapters Pod on Twitter and Instagram to see examples of Elvis's marginalia, and to get information on where you can find Larry's books. You can visit us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or our website to continue this conversation about Elvis as a reader. I'd like to thank Taylor for all of her help and for talking Elvis with me. If reading has helped you to discover or develop your own spiritual life, visit us at www.chapterspod.com to share your story you could be a guest on our show. If you like our show, review us in the iTunes store. It really helps listeners find our show. If you're not into iTunes, just pass along our show to a friend. Thanks for listening.